Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Good to hear you. Glad that you chose to be with us on Friends and Family Day. Uh, Just a disclaimer, it's not like on every other week, uh, we don't welcome friends and family. And it's Friends and Family Day is every Sunday here at Echo, but it's become this special thing that kind of just grew out of an experiment of what would it be like if we just took time regularly to invite people from within our church family to just tell the story of how they came to learn about Jesus and what God's done in their life. And it's become just, for me personally, my, my absolute favorite time here. And you'll hear me use the word family a lot. And the reason I do is because God does. He uses that word. He uses that word to describe the relationship he wants us to have with each other inside of God's kingdom. We're not, and some, you know, you can think of us as co-workers you can think of us as associates, I guess, but a word he uses is family. And I know you're thinking like, well, I'm not blood related to all these other people. Well, you're not, but we share the same dad. We all serve God the Father, and by definition, that makes us siblings. That makes us brothers and sisters. And so today, we're going to hear from one of our brothers and one of our sisters, and they're going to tell part of their life story to each and every one of us. And, you know, I, you know, I come from I have a flesh and blood genetic family. I'm the son of Jeff and Debbie. I'm an older brother to Steph and Tom. I, I'm married to Kendra, and together Kendra and I are parents to Chase, who is 10, and Isaiah, who is 5. We've been married 23 years. I've been a pastor for 24 years. I was hired as the pastor of this church in 2012 and then elected as the pastor of the church in 2019, which is an interesting story. You know, uh, we became a sovereign, for those of you who don't know, we became a sovereign church in 2019, which means that we were, we were no longer under the church government of a, larger, of a larger church, kind of as a campus. We became our own sovereign church uh, affiliated with the Assemblies of God. And so after having been here seven years, I had to hope that I got reelected into my job. That was kind of an interesting part of my own journey. But that, those are some of the variables that bring me here into this family. Now, I know in my genetic family, a couple times a year, we get together for holidays. And on my side of the family, it's usually at my brother's house or my sister's house because they have the big houses. And so we'll sit around one or sometimes two, and in one case, three tables as a family. And I used to love telling the stories, but I've run out of them. And so now I just enjoy listening to the stories. And as I listen to stories that are told around our family table, every time I hear this story, I hear something, I hear a similarity, but I also hear differences. I can relate to the person telling this story a lot of times just by the sheer fact of we're in the same family. Um, But then there's other times where I I'm hearing from somebody and I hear a similarity in the story, but I'll hear somebody in my family tell about something I can't directly relate to. They, they live in a different area. They don't share the same faith that I do, or they grew up in a different time or a different space, or they just view life differently and had different experiences than I do. Every time you hear a story, you're going to hear things that you can relate to, you can identify with, you can put yourself in the story. There's other times you're going to hear things you... They're not common to your experience, but those things can also sharpen you. They can teach you. They can grow you. They can warn us. They can correct us. They can inspire us. And so today, I want you to lean in and listen, and that's how you're going to get the most out of this time this morning. You have to soften your heart and open up your ears and listen to two people who are going to tell part of their story. They're going to be transparent. They're going to be honest, and the reason they're doing that is because two things. God's given them confidence, and they feel safe because this is a safe place for us to be ourselves. This is a safe place for us to be ourselves, right? Listen, you're going to spend a lot of your time and energy during the week being somebody that's a different version of who you really are, and that's stressful. You can be yourself here. Take the mask off here. You be who you are here. That's the only way you can come to Jesus. You have to come to him exactly as you are. And so today, I want you to feel the safety in being able to do that. So as you listen in to our two stories today, to our two speakers, I want you to listen in. What can I relate to? What's a new perspective or an idea that I can't relate to? And then what is God saying to me about what I'm hearing, 
okay? Our first speaker is somebody that many of you know, maybe not all of you know, but many of you know as Pastor James. Um, He is our discipleship pastor, Mr. James Yike, and beyond just being our discipleship pastor, he is married to Chelsea, and together they are mom and dad to not one but two kids. They have Esther and their newest little, their newest little baby, Oliver, and if you haven't met Oliver yet, he is like totally chill and totally sweet, and they're thinking, yeah, I'm speaking that over his life for the rest of his life, right? You receiving it in the name of Jesus, right? Pastor James has been our discipleship pastor here for years now, and he has brought leadership to our ministry teams, to our growth groups, and works directly with people who make a decision to follow Jesus. He is like boots on the ground to come alongside and get them started on their spiritual journey. He does a whole lot more than that, but those are the things that are... There's always the stuff that's in our job description in a Word document and then all the extra things we actually do. And uh, James loves Jesus. He loves this church. He loves... He loves his job, and he will tell anybody who will listen how much he loves his job. And it's just a, he's just a joy to be around, a supremely lovable and likable young man. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to hear a little bit more about his story and how he's grown into the person that, that Jesus is making him into today. So will you join me in welcoming Pastor James as he comes? Good morning, everybody. So... Some of you have heard bits and pieces of my story um, before. If you've been in a growth group with me, you've heard some. If you've heard me teach, you kind of hear some of my story bleeding out. The story I want to tell you today is how I came to meet Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then how I came to understand what his lordship really meant in my life, because there was some distance between between those two events. I grew up in a home with both of my parents, and my brother and sister. My parents knew the God of the Bible, and they loved him. They knew Jesus. They loved Jesus, and they told their kids about him all the time. I know I was one. There was not, there is not a day in my life that I look back and and try to remember where I don't remember knowing who God was, and that God loved me, and that he proved his love to me by sending his son to die on the cross in my place. Not a single day that I can remember where I didn't know those things, and it's because my parents taught me. They knew that they were the primary spiritual instructors in my life. Now, we went to church all the time. My dad was a Bible study teacher at the church. Um, My mom was a, uh, she helped with, um, prep for some of the community meals they did and things like that. They, you know, they gave in the offering and, and tithe, and they were faithful in that. So I had that example, and whenever they were in church, we were in church. But I remember looking back on my life, hearing more about Jesus from my parents than even then I heard at church. And that is amazing. So that was a huge blessing for me growing up as a kid And knowing that God isn't just some distant God out there, but that he is a personal God, that he loves me and that he wants a relationship with me. So because I had that in my brain at a young age, I gave my life to Jesus at a young age. It was maybe four or five, or not four, five, six or seven years old. I can't tell you the prayer I prayed, but here's what happened. I became keenly aware at one point in my life that I was a sinner, I had, you know, as a kid, I often disobeyed my parents. I was rude to people. Um, I got in lots of fights when I was a kid. And for in kindergarten, like, I was a major klepto for some reason. I just stole stuff out of the room all the time. And I would go back home. My parents would be like, where'd you get that new toy? And I'd be like, my friends gave it to me. And after several days of coming home with my toys from my new, very generous friends, they got a little suspicious. So... It, it like occurred to me that all of this disobedience is actually sin. All of this stuff, you know, the sin that I heard about, my parents told me about it, and I heard about it at church. That's what I was doing, and that meant I was a sinner. And as soon as that thought settled into my, my little heart, I was like, uh-oh. Because I also know my parents told me that sin is the thing that separates me from God. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be God's friend because I knew God wanted to be friends with me. And so 
I knew what to do in that moment, again, because my parents had told me. I knew Jesus could forgive me of my sins because he died on the cross and because he resurrected. And I believed that with all my little heart. So I simply asked him to forgive me. I asked him to be my friend and he did and he is. So I started my personal walk with Jesus very, very young. And as soon as I made that decision, I wanted to be obedient to what he told me and to what I read in the Bible. And of course, you know, I'm a kid in elementary school, so I am far from perfect. There are times that I did not try my best, but I wanted to do things to make Jesus proud of me. So I started serving. Um, I served at the Methodist church I grew up in. I served as an acolyte. I got to wear the robe and use the little candle on the stick to light all the candles. Uh, I was part of the choir. And so I, I did all these things to make God proud of me. And I started to receive lots of compliments, particularly from older people in the church who would say, oh, James is so, you know, you're so respectful. Um, you're so mature, you know, for an eight-year-old. And, uh, and I, I started to get that praise and I really liked the way that sounded. And so I started to do things so people would see me so that I could get more of that praise. I started getting that in school too because I was smart and I knew it. And my teachers kept telling me and I kept getting good grades and everybody was praising me. And I really, really liked how that felt. I really liked people's approval. So I started to do things in my Christian walk in view of the general public so that the general public would praise me for it. Um, I was very much like the Pharisees that Jesus calls out for, you know, the way they fast so that everybody can see them or the way that they give so everybody can see them. And he says that, you know, the approval of man is basically all you're getting for that. But that's what I wanted. And that's why I did a lot of the things I did for the Lord. I did it purely for selfish motives because I wanted people's approval. So now you carry that into my middle school and high school years. I was becoming more concerned with what people said about me than what God said about me and more concerned with an outward Christian appearance than, um, than the condition of my heart before the Lord. I got a little more freedom in my middle school and high school years, came to find out there were some things I could do that were fun that uh, God and my parents didn't necessarily want me doing. And we have some little ears in here, so I'll back some of that out, but I looked at some websites I should not have been looking at. You know what I'm talking about when I was 11 years old. Um, I snuck out of the house at night to hang out with my friends. I got a job, which doesn't really sound that bad. Um, I got a job basically as soon as I could get a work permit, I started working. The problem with that though, was that I now had an income that was not monitored and I spent every last penny on my own entertainment video games, books, movies, card games, food, candy, whatever it was that I wanted, I got it when I wanted it because I had money. So you can see how all of this is kind of leading to a lack of discipline in my life. I'm keeping up Christian appearances on one end by doing the stuff, right? I'm reading the Bible and I'm you know, reading from the lectionary at church and I'm doing all of the Christian work, but on the inside, my spirit is in turmoil because I'm living with unrepentant sin in my life. So what started happening was I started feeling the guilt and shame of my sin and that started working its way out as anger. My parents for a really long time didn't know what I was struggling with because I was really, really good at hiding and I very rarely got caught doing anything bad. Um, but what happened was the guilt and the shame for sin that Jesus has already put to death, by the way, and I'm just continuing to commit, that is heaping up on my shoulders. And because I wasn't because I wasn't coming clean or admitting it or confessing it to another person, basically it started making its way out of me as anger and rage problems. That was a symptom and sin was the disease in my heart. I was not repenting of any of it. What I would do is because I still wanted to be good with God, I know I needed to confess to him. And so I, you know, every single time I would sin, I would go back to my room and I would, I would sit on the bed and I would say, Jesus, I am so, so sorry. And I was, and I would you know, tell him what I did, he already knew, and ask him to forgive me. And you know what the craziest thing about this time in my life was? Even though I was in a cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, and not repenting at all, there's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession is just agreeing with what God already knows to be true, 
right? Admitting what he already knows I did. Repentance is actually changing the way that I think about my sin and so that I, so that I start working my life towards righteousness and holiness. So there's a difference. I wasn't repenting, but I was confessing. But even though I'm in this cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, every single time I confessed, I felt God's presence and his forgiveness pour over me. Even when he and I both knew that it wasn't gonna be long before I went back to the exact same thing. I still felt his grace and his forgiveness pour over me. And even as a young kid, that taught me so much about God's patience, about his grace, because I did not deserve that. He knew I was going right back to it, but he poured his grace over me anyway. He never missed a single appointment with me, even when I was living in sin. So like I said, I was good at, at covering my tracks when I broke the rules. And so basically I'm now living a double life. I have the outward Christian life over here and I have a life live doing what I want when I want to do it and keeping everything hidden. I was scared of losing face with people and of losing their approval more than I was scared of the consequences of staying in this sinful cycle and what that cycle was doing to my relationship with God. I kept this going all the way into my early 20s. Um, I did a couple things out of high school. I toured around the country with a drama ministry, and um, that kind of put me in a Christian bubble for a while. And so a lot of these sinful habits weren't there because I was basically 24-7 with somebody else in my team. Um, and during that time, that was like the first time I prayed for people, and I saw, I saw miracles, I saw healings, I saw people get saved, I saw marriages restored. It was incredible. But as soon as I came out of that, the Christian bubble popped, and I'm right back into my sinful habits because I had never built any discipline in my life. I was just kind of riding along with what everybody else was doing. So I went to college for a year. Now I have three different lives because in addition to my sin life that's private and my outward Christian life, now I have a life with my fun college friends. Then after a year at college, I felt God calling me to a young adult discipleship program at Trinity Life Church in Lutherville. Now I have four lives I'm living because now I have the spiritual leaders and my team at this, at, this, uh, at this other church. And I'm trying to keep four different lives balanced. I'm trying to juggle all of these things, trying to remember, okay, what story did I tell this group? And what story did I tell this group? And which version? And who knows what? And just like, hoping, hoping, hoping that none of them ever cross paths and figure out that I'm a total liar. And it was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. Trying to, trying to keep this up was so tiring. I was worn out. I was always tired. I had no grace for others. I had a temper. The sin and guilt and shame still worked themselves out as anger because I still refused to confess to somebody else. So, my, most of the people who knew me closest to me, they were like, he loves Jesus. Yeah, but like, he's really angry. So I wasn't a good, I was not a good example of, of a Christian at all. And the pressure of living these multiple lives and carrying it all in tension just became too much. So I never like woke up in a gutter or anything, but this is basically my rock bottom where I was so laden with all of this guilt and shame. Even while I know Jesus, and while he's standing there like, repent and receive all my blessings. And I just refused to do it until one season in my life where I was so laden with all of that guilt that the pain and fear of staying in the dark finally outweighed my fear of coming into the light and getting help. That was when I repented. And it was a whole season where I finally began to surrender control of my life to Jesus. He had always been my savior and my Lord, but I didn't fully appreciate his lordship until this point. I had been fighting him over who was Lord in my life. And it was a fight that I, I he was, I, that's not the right way to say it. Um, it was a fight that he chose to let me win because that's what I wanted. And lording my own life didn't work. And so as I surrendered, I began to surrender control to his lordship and say, Jesus, what do you want to do in my life? When I finally surrendered and let go of that control, that is immediately when healing started for me. 
He gave me the courage to come clean, to get my sin out of the darkness, to bring it into the light. And it wasn't a single moment for me. It was an entire season of my life. I had wound up so much of my life with sin. It took a while for me and Jesus to unwind all of it. But I fessed up to my parents. I came clean to my spiritual leadership at, uh, at the church and at my program with my team. I came clean to some friends. Uh, I lost some friendships because, you know, they didn't really know the real me. When they found out who I was, they didn't like me anymore, and that's fair. That was my fault. But you know what happened when I came clean to people that loved Jesus is I wasn't met with judgment. Yeah, there was some disappointment. That's natural. But what I got as soon as I confessed was grace and love and understanding just poured over me by people that loved Jesus. It was just another way that God was showing how patient and how loving he was with me. There was no judgment. There was just joy that I was coming back into the light. And this is the season for the first time in years. Like I said, for so many years, I had been just seeking people's approval, doing all this stuff for selfish reasons so that people would give me their approval so I could feel good. But this season in my life, I felt God's approval and his pleasure pour over me. And that meant more and means more to me than literally anything else in this world. It was a whole season of surrender. And interestingly enough, this is also the season when God called me into vocational ministry and it set me on the path to becoming a pastor, to being a pastor here at Echo Community Church and to sharing on the platform today. It all started like 15 years ago when I simply stopped fighting Jesus for lordship and I surrendered control. I look back on my life now and... I see that so many blessings God had for me, I chose not to receive because I was too busy carrying sin that he had already put to death on the cross. So where am I today? I'm definitely not perfect. I definitely still struggle with sin. But right now I'm surrendered. God has permission to work on me. He has permission to work on my heart, on my attitudes, on my thoughts, on my actions. He has permission to tinker under the hood of my life and to help me line up with his word and his will. I'm surrendered. So looking back on my life, actually, I already said that. (laughs) Let me just say this in closing. Um, Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't carry. Don't carry the things that Jesus has already dealt with. If he's put your sin to death, don't keep living in it. Don't let that guilt and shame heap up. Matthew 11 28, Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. I was heavily burdened for so many years, and it was my own choice to be so. And when I came to Jesus and surrendered, he gave me rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His blessings are immeasurable, and they're better than you can imagine. Come into his light, repent, surrender to his lordship, because there's no better place to be than surrendered. Thank you for letting me share. I appreciate someone who can be so honest, right? Right. Just be open and transparent about their journey with Jesus. And uh, I wonder what you heard, and you don't have to answer this out loud. Just think about it. What about James's story can you identify with? Maybe for some, it's about, you know, the fact that he grew up in a home where his, he lived with mom and dad, and they both believed in the God of the Bible, and they were followers of Jesus, and they taught their children those things, and they were advocates for spiritual Christian growth and development. Maybe that's something you can identify with, or maybe that you were involved in serving in a, in a community of faith at a young age, or um, got a job at a young age, or maybe some of the more deeper personal things that you know what it's like to wrestle with guilt. Or how about this? To be more concerned about how you appear than how you really are. Those are important bedrock principles of our relationship with Jesus. You know, when I heard uh, Pastor James share his story, I heard him talk about the difference between understanding Jesus as a savior and also understanding him as Lord. Human hearts, it's not as difficult for us to convince somebody that 
We need a savior because most humans will come to the conclusion at some point in their life, I'm not living the better life that I think I should be living, but I'm not. Most of us get there, and that's where the birth of statements like to err is human come from, or I'm only human, or how about this one, nobody's perfect. Those are confessions we make to suggest that we recognize I'm not capable of living this better life that I'd like to live that I'm not. And then we have to decide what we're going to do with that. And many people turn to religion. All the other world religions besides Christianity are going to tell you what you have to do to be saved by God. They're going to tell you what you have to do. Here are the works, here are the steps, here are the pillars, here are the laws, here are the rituals. And if you master these things, if you do these things, you'll be right with God. God will accept you. Every other world religion besides Christianity tells you what you need to do. In other words, they're giving you advice. Only Christianity says, here's what has already done for you to be saved. Do you hear the difference? One requires you to master things. The other things require you, Christianity requires you to be mastered. One requires you to do a whole lot. The other requires you to surrender. I think a lot of people find the idea of someone who will save us, protect us, advocate for us, change us, give us eternal life, the idea of a savior, we find that warm and fuzzy. Most humans aren't thrilled about the idea of having a Lord. I don't think many of you woke up this morning and said, if only I could find somebody who could control everything about me, my life would be complete. Right? Most of you aren't thinking that's the thing missing from your life. Trust me, when I was a kid, the last thing I was looking forward to in my life were more rules and more leadership. I wanted less of both. You know, the biggest thing I was looking forward to was being old enough to decide what I wanted and didn't want to eat for dinner. I didn't want more people to be in control of things. I wanted less control and more autonomy. And Christianity says the way to freedom is complete surrender. It's not autonomy. It's complete dependence. And aren't we raising our kids to be independent and not dependent? And you see, in Christianity, God's saying what you really need is, in, is found in surrendering to my lordship. So do you need a savior or a lord? You know what we need? We need both. If I recognize I need a savior, then I also need a lord. Because if I can't fix myself, wouldn't it be appropriate for me to trust somebody who will always guide me in the right direction to be my Lord and take myself out of that role? That's what I hear in that story. That's common to all of us. Now I want you to hear another story. I want you to hear from one of our sisters. I want you to hear from Kate. Kate is married to Wes. She is a faithful, loving, supportive wife. She is an amazing mom. I want you to know she is a stellar and gifted leader. Together with her husband, Wes, they lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Echo. Every Tuesday night, they gather together here in this building, and they lead a 12-step faith-based recovery program for anybody that's trying to overcome any of life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I am thankful for Celebrate Recovery. I am thankful for a God who believes in recovery. I am a product and a participant for 18 years of my own life in recovery. And I'm thankful for a God that gives new chances. And I'm thankful for a Christian community who will walk with people like me who not only need the Lord, but need God's people in my life to help me become the man that Jesus knows I can be. I can't be anything I want, but I can be everything he wants me to be. Do you hear that? Somebody needs to hear this idea, you know, son, you can be anything you want. No, you can't. You can't, but you can be everything he wants you to be. I had dreams of being an Olympic gymnast. No matter how hard I worked, it wasn't going to happen. 
There's a whole story behind that. I won't tell you. I don't want you to imagine me being a gymnast today. That will ruin lunch for you. Too late. Sorry. You went there. I gave you a mental picture. I wish I could wipe. I wish it was like your mind was like a dry erase board. I could just wipe that off. But I want you to know you can be everything he wants you to be. And having a community of people around you. That's what I found in recovery communities. And that's part of what they lead. It takes a special person gifted by God, called by God to lead recovery and ministry. But I also want you to know that there's a real story of God's ongoing work in Kate's life. Some of it you should be able to relate to. There might be parts that you can't, but I want you to open up your heart. I want you to listen to our sister as she shares honestly about her journey with Jesus. Will you welcome Kate as she comes? And keep clapping until she takes the mic. <laughs> As a joke, as a joke from the first service, like, you know, she's like, I need to walk faster. They stopped clapping before I got the mic. No, it's all good. Thank you. Good morning, church. Good morning. So on the first service, Pastor Phil said he can only see people in the front couple of rows, but I want you to know that I can see every one of your faces. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I've, I've chosen to read my testimony so I don't go down any rabbit trails. Some of what I'm going to share this morning is difficult. And I'm not sharing it because I'm proud of it, but rather because I am so thankful for the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. <laughs> I was born in New York, the second of five children, and grew up in a loving family. My parents always took us to church, so I always knew of God. However, I was raised in a denomination that was works-based, and God was scary to me. I was an anxious little girl who always wanted to please everyone. My very first report card from kindergarten, I still have it, <laughs> says that Kate is very sincere, cooperative, and a well-liked little girl. She appears at times to be very nervous about making mistakes. I'm sure if she had a little more confidence in herself, she could be very successful. What an observant teacher who called out how I would be for most of my adult life. The fear of making a mistake kept me from doing a lot of bad things, but it also kept me from trying a lot of new things and good things. One of my first memories of church and God was going into a big, dark confessional box, waiting for someone that I didn't know to slide across a little wooden window so I could tell him the sins of my seven-year-old self. He never looked at me and told me what I had to do to be right with God again. I always worried if I said the prayers right and good enough for God to forgive me. My family moved to Dublin, Ireland when I was 12 years old, as that's where my mom had grown up. It was a great place to be, and we had a lot of fun times. My parents owned an antique store, and when I got older, I worked there with them, and I used to go to auctions for them. But scholastically, it was a difficult move. The children in my class had been learning two additional languages since they were four years old, Gaelic and French, and I was handed a novel in French without a word. I had my New York accent English at best. I was not great at coping with having to make a lot of mistakes as I was far behind the rest of the class. So I decided to become the class clown because then I could make people laugh and that would fill my people-pleasing needs. Ireland is a beautiful country and full of superstitions. One of the things I was introduced to was touching a certain sign that indicated water. It was said if you didn't touch it, it meant you were going to have bad luck. This started a new worry in my anxious heart and led to, led to the beginning of years of struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder in the form of touching everything in a very particular pattern and also adding numbers. Many people joke about being OCD, but it truly is a terrible thing. It keeps you in fear and bondage. My thought was that if I didn't do it exactly right, something bad was going to happen to someone in my family. So I had to do it over and over and over, never satisfied that it was perfect enough to keep my family safe. I met my first boyfriend in Ireland, and, we moved to, and he moved to Florida with my family when I was 22. We had to get married after three months so that he could stay in America. We were married for 10 years and had two children together, but all was not well. He struggled with alcohol and gambling, and I struggled with wanting attention from men and justified being unfaithful. I eventually outed myself as the lying had become overwhelming. Even though I was still going to church every week, 
I clearly didn't know God. I prayed that he would bless this affair and convince myself that this is what God had wanted for me. The marriage ended and I was miserable. Every other weekend, my children, who were three and eight at the time, would go to their dads and I had no idea or control over what was happening there, who they were with or where they were going. I absolutely dreaded the fear of them leaving and the loneliness that I felt. My way of coping with this was anger. I lashed out at them with my words and sadly, too often, my hands. I joined a support group at Church for Divorced and Separated People. Despite the wise counsel of not getting involved with anyone until at least a year after the divorce was final, I started looking soon after we separated. After all, my husband was seeing someone and he was super happy. The very first person I met at a speed dating event was good enough for me. After one of our first dates, I invited him back to my home as my children were at their dad's. He forced himself on me, and despite my no, he continued. I felt sick, scared, and confused. I felt stuck. I couldn't tell anyone because I knew what I was doing was wrong. I didn't want to disappoint anyone, especially my mom and dad. And I started thinking that maybe it's my fault because I invited him over. So I kept on seeing him and acted like nothing bad had happened. And before long, he moved in with us. What happened that first night he came to my home was a foreshadowing of how things would be in a short amount of time. He was verbally and emotionally abusive to myself and my children. He mocked us and called us names. We walked on eggshells all the time. He constantly packed up and left us and threatened to hurt our cat. He told me that I was stupid, worthless, and ugly, and that I was so lucky to have somebody like him. He told me so many times that I believed it. He also told me that he had a vasectomy and never wanted children of his own. And looking back, it's no surprise that I found myself pregnant, raising two children, financially struggling, living in low-income apartments with an abusive man. When I told him I was pregnant, he laughed, and he packed his stuff and left for a few weeks. Filled with shame, guilt, and a broken heart, I made an appointment to have an abortion, something that I always said I would never, ever do. I wish I could say that I didn't go through with it, but I did. Walking into that clinic, I just wished that everything would be over for me. I asked the woman helping me at the clinic if God would still love me, and she just shrugged her shoulders. I didn't tell anybody about this for many, many years. Of course, I took this man back in again and again, for six more years. How could a codependent people pleaser get out of this mess? Easy, just meet someone else. This was the era of chat rooms and I wasn't looking to meet someone, but I came across a man who had lost his wife at 44 years of age and had a 14 year old daughter. He lived in Baltimore and I was in Florida, so I felt safe. And I loved that I could make him laugh in his sorrow. Eventually we had feelings for each other and I told the abusive guy it was time to get out. He didn't go easily, and there was a long period of time where he was stalking me and my children. I did meet the man from online in person, and we decided to get married. I packed up my children, and we moved to Baltimore. It was perfect for about two hours. His 14-year-old daughter resented having another woman in her home less than a year after her mom died and having two step-siblings as she had been an only child. There were a lot of arguments about her, and he had a quick temper. I resented his daughter for causing so much trouble, and my own children weren't thrilled about this situation either. After being married for four years, he was diagnosed with terminal kidney cancer at 47, and the doctors gave him less than a year to live. Around the same time, my daughter, who had been rebelling, running away, and giving us a very hard time, met a young man in school who was different than her usual crowd. They became friends, and he started hanging out with us and spending a lot of time with us. I was not comfortable saying my usual string of cuss words that would make a sale or blush in front of him. Actually, I think I did a few times, and he would say, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> His family was very kind and helpful to us. When my husband was told there was no medical treatments for him, 
this young man invited us to meet his pastor without telling us it was a pastor to discuss, discuss alternative medicine. That man and his wife offered to take my husband to a natural health doctor and pay for all of his treatments and supplements that very first night we ever met them. He asked us if we knew that he was a pastor, and we said, no, but maybe you can pray with us before we left. And he said the sinner's prayer. It was the first time that either one of us had ever heard it. We repeated it. We didn't really know what it meant, but God, he did, and he heard us. We all truly believed that my husband would be healed. My child left their wild ways and was on fire for God, telling all her friends about this wonderful Jesus and sharing the word with us. We visited that pastor's church, and through their love and the example of my daughter's friend and family and the goodness of God, we were all saved. The change in all of us was remarkable. My husband no longer had a quick temper, and I had a new kind of peace. But after six months, he had another scan, and it came back much worse. The cancer had spread nearly everywhere. We were crushed, but we were trusting God. Jesus came for my husband in the middle of the night during a nor'easter snowstorm, less than a year after his diagnose and only four years of marriage, and I became a widow at 47. My child's peace, however, turned to anger and then rage. Her zeal for God died with her stepdad. She said this wonderful Jesus she told everyone about was a hoax, and she started to rebel in ways I couldn't even imagine. I knew that she was a danger to me, herself and others, as she turned to a life of drugs, alcohol, and a life-threatening eating disorder. She spent several years in and out of rehabs, hospitals, and eating disorder units, sometimes for months at a time. Two years after my husband's passing, a man who loves God and who is a scholar came into my life at a Bible study. I didn't like him. <laughs> he knew way too much for me. <laughs> but no hard feelings. He didn't like me either. <laughs> he thought that I had put some of the women in church up to telling him to ask me out. And here we are, married for 11 years now. <laughs> only God, my friends, only God. <laughs> As my child went on a very dangerous life of destruction, my husband and I went on a journey to celebrate recovery, a Christ-centered recovery group for any hurt, habit, or hang-up. We personally had no reason to go. We weren't alcoholics or addicts, but we were desperate to try and figure out how to fix her. After attending for a short while, I discovered that I had no idea how broken I was, how I had stuffed away so many of the things that were done to me and things that I had done to others. I learned why I did the things I did and how to stop being a codependent people pleaser. Celebrate Recovery saved my life, and it changed the course of my family's life as well. We all now attend and are a family in recovery together with healthy boundaries, not trying to fix or control each other and living our life one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. The best decision I ever made was to surrender my life and my will over to the care of God, a good and loving and perfect God. Being in the will of God is the safest place to be. The times that I lived in folly thinking that I was having fun always ended in pain. Hebrews 11.25 says, the pleasures of sin are for a little while. And Proverbs 3.12 says, the Lord corrects those he loves, just as the Father corrects the Son in whom he delights. If you are dabbling in sin, please reflect on my journey. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. My friends, if you feel hopeless about your life, your circumstance, your past transgressions, or your current struggles, let, let me remind you that we serve a good, good Father who will never leave us or forsake us. God has restored the years the locust took from me and gave me beauty from ashes. He has restored me to sanity and replaced my fear and anxiety with a sound mind. He took me from being that anxious little girl in kindergarten and an anxious adult with endless trips to the ER with panic attacks, to volunteering at a leper colony in Ethiopia, working alongside my prodigal daughter, who was living as a missionary there. I went on two mission trips to Kenya with both my children and held Celebrate Recovery meetings in the Baltimore County Detention Center 
with the female inmate population, some who were later sentenced to life in prison without parole, without any fear. I was able to make amends with my children who forgave me and never stopped loving me. And I have two grandchildren who I absolutely adore. My children's father and his wife are very friendly with my husband and I, and we even have dinner with them sometimes when we visit Florida. God showed me that while he didn't heal my late husband as I had prayed, he did far better by healing him for eternity with a new body, and I know that I will see him again one day. And his daughter and I have started to heal our relationship. I have the honor of being one of the ministry leaders of CR Echo alongside my best friend and my husband, and I no longer have to live to please man, but to please God. If I talk to anyone for more than 10 minutes, they are going to hear about Jesus and celebrate recovery <laughs> because I want them to have eternal life and the serenity and joy that is available now. I will end by saying that my life is not perfect or easy. I still struggle with the fear of making mistakes, low self-worth, and an unhealthy relationship with food. But I am working on these character defects one day at a time and continue to practice saying who God says I am and not who the world says I was. I am okay to be perfectly imperfect. I can share this story with you without shame because in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 11, it says, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. All glory and honor to God. Thank you for letting me share. Brent, you're reading my mind. I was to say, Brent, could you come? And you literally were walking right along the same time. Come on up. Ah, uh, wow. Now, I've heard her story two times now. I'm still, I'm still just absorbing all of it. And Kate, your testimony has, for me, for me, enlarged my view of Jesus. It has elevated my view of Jesus. It has given me hope for my own self, who is still a work in progress. A thankfulness and appreciation for all God, God has blessed in my life. All, God that, all that God's done for me. It's made me want to double down again on the value and necessity of recovery and I'm telling you I'll speak for me but I think I speak for all of us I'm so honored to have a seat at a table next to you as my sister I am I don't deserve to sit at your table I'm so thankful that I get to I am honored that you're my sister I'm honored that James is my brother I I so want to know my family better so want to know my family better. Um, I know there's been a lot, for whatever reason today, a lot of extra moving around. That's fine. I'm going to ask for the next couple minutes. We just not move around, okay? When I get ready to pray, if you need to move at that point, that's fine. But I don't want you to distract somebody else. So I want everybody to be still and I want you to listen. Most important thing that needs to be said is what's written here in Romans chapter 3. I want to read this to you. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Do you hear that? Paul's saying, God has now shown us a way we can be made right that doesn't depend upon our performance. Aren't you interested in that? Okay, good. I'm glad you are, one of you. I hope the rest of you are too. We're a church where we can talk, right? And I, sometimes I need y'all to help me preach because if you agree with something and there's skeptical people in the room, your amen and your agreement helps drive that home. Aren't you interested to know if there's a pathway you could be made right with God that doesn't require you to master a set of rules, wouldn't you be interested in knowing what that is? Amen. That's better. Verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. In other words, there's a way to be made with, right with, with God that doesn't require the law. It's through Jesus, and it's for everybody, regardless of who you are, what tribe you're from, what race you're from, how much education you have, where you grew up, how much money you have, whatever your past is, squeaky clean or a mess, it's for everyone. Verse 23, why is it for everyone? Now, here's the one you probably know. For all have sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe, when they believe, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is both fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So can we boast then because we've done anything to be accepted by God? No. Our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. You know what that says? You can be made right with God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you've done. You are made right with God, not because you made your life perfect, You're made right with God by doing two things, believing and repenting. Believing and repenting. Believe means to be utterly convinced. That means that you believe and you are utterly convinced that you need to be saved, that Jesus can save you, and that he will save you if you ask him. That's what you have to believe. I love what Kate said. Kate said, the first time that I heard about this message, I prayed a prayer. She called it the sinner's prayer. Now, we won't ever find the sinner's prayer recorded in Scripture, but basically it means the prayer that I pray to experience salvation, the prayer I approach God with where I confess what I believe and I bring my repentant heart to God. The question is, do you believe you need to be saved? Do you believe that you aren't capable of living the life you should be living? Do you believe that as a result of that, you're guilty of breaking God's law? Jesus doesn't want you to stay living in guilt because guilt leads to shame. You heard two stories of people who said, I struggled with feeling guilty and being ashamed. And in this room, I'm sure, some of you, maybe even some of you as Christians, you feel constantly guilty. You feel ashamed. That is not the life Jesus wants for you. Jesus died so he could satisfy the penalty. So you don't have to live as a convict. You don't live as a debtor. You don't live as a prisoner trying to pay off your sentence. You live as a free person, as a free woman, as a free man. He doesn't want you stuck there. You have to believe he can save you. Like what it says in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 24. He, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd who is now the guardian of your soul. Jesus can save you. He's the only one who can. But will he? Oh, he will. That's what you have to believe. Peter was sinking in the water. He had this awesome long prayer. He cries out, save me, I'm sinking, I'm perishing. What did Jesus do? He reached down, grabbed him by the wrist, pulled him out. How about the thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus? Promise you, he didn't have a college degree. He didn't understand a lot of theology. He knew enough to know that he was sinful, that he was broken, that he deserved punishment, and he believed that guy hanging on the cross could do something about it. And he says, will you remember me? When you come into your glory, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. You don't have to understand a whole lot, but you have to believe that you need to be saved and that only Jesus can save you and that he will if you ask him. And 
you repent. You have to change your mind about living as your own Lord. You can't just take the Savior part and reject the Lord part. You have to be willing to surrender, to turn over control of your life to Jesus. Well, I don't know if I can do that. I promise you it's an issue of trust. Well, what if he this or what if he that? Any person who would give up their perfect life to be your substitute and take your penalty for them with no guarantee they'd get anything back out of it, if you can't trust them, who can you trust? Who can you trust? What else would he have to do to earn your trust? There's nothing more extreme than that that he already did. That's why Kate's sitting here today. It's not because she mastered a bunch of TED Talks. It's not because she got a degree in self-help. It's because she found Jesus because Jesus was looking for her. That's how James was able to overcome and continue to overcome the pride, the deception, the, 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 all the different things, the bargaining, the obsession with how he appeared to people. It's because of Jesus. Do you want to come into his kingdom today? He wants you to come in. Well, pastor, this is, this is friends and family day and I'm already saved. This isn't for me. You know what's for you? Do you need to repent? Do you need to finally come clean to Jesus about sin you've been tolerating in your life? Because I promise you, if you know you're sinning and you're not repenting, you know what you're doing? You're resisting God. And you know what's happening? Your heart's getting hard. And you know what else? This is miserable for you, if that's what's going on. Worship's miserable. Bible study's miserable. Prayer's miserable. Church is miserable. If you can hear God's voice today, don't harden your heart. Confess. Repent. And open up yourself to another believer after you've done that and say, I settled some things with Jesus today. But I need your encouragement, your support, your prayer to grow so I don't return to that being a stronghold in my life. That's the protocol the Bible gives for us. So you have a choice. Let your heart be soft and receive from the Lord today. Or you can resist him and exercise the muscle of making your heart hard. Don't go down that trail, friend. You heard a... The nicest warning ever from Kate today. I'm a little more direct. <laughs> if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. While it's still today, Hebrews says, while it's still today, Hebrews says as believers are supposed to warn each other while it's still today to repent of the sin in our hearts so that we don't turn towards unbelief. And that verse is addressed to brothers and sisters. Brother, sister, zero tolerance policy for sin in your life. Come to Jesus today. He can, he will forgive you. And he can bring healing, recovery, and restoration in your life. But you've got to move first. You've got you've to get on that same page. You've got to surrender to his will. You've got to swallow your pride, admit it, confess it and turn away from it. Jesus will hear you and forgive you and your Christian community will walk with you because we need each other. Amen? We need each other. You got to have some people in your life you can be real with and who won't write you off, who will roll up their sleeves and be willing to be inconvenienced when you bring a mess to their doorstep. That's what we're here for each other for. That's what it's about. That's what you find in a Christian community. Let's bow our heads and pray. Worship team, will you join me? Brent, hats off to you, buddy. I used the word miserable five times and you were playing in beautiful major chords and I don't know how all it worked, but that was awesome. I'm gonna give two invitations today. First, I wanna speak to those in the room. You're not inside God's kingdom. You're not saved. You've not confessed. And you've not repented. Jesus is not right now your Savior and your Lord. 
But man, he loves you and he wants you to come into his kingdom. My question is, do you want to come into God's kingdom? If the answer is yes, here's, here's what it looks like. You have to believe and repent. Do you believe you need to be saved? Yes or no? Do you believe Jesus can? Yes or no? Do you believe he will if you ask him yes or no? If your answer to those three things is yes, you believe. Are you ready to surrender? Will you repent? Do you recognize that this process is a turning away from your life of living your way and turning towards a life of living his way? And if your answer to that is yes, I want you to know God sees your heart. He hears your thoughts. He already knows what you believe. You're not going to shock him when you confess it because confess is just agreeing with what God already knows to be true. He already knows it's in your heart. Romans 10 chapter 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So pastor, what do I do now? You do just that. You can go to Jesus right now. Go ahead. Go to him right now. Ask him to save you, and he will. Ask him to forgive you. He will. Tell him you want him to be your Lord, and you're ready to surrender to him, and he'll have you. He'll welcome you into his kingdom. Welcome his Holy Spirit into your life. He'll release that to you. If you still need some help on what to say, you can just say, Jesus, save me. I've sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I repent. I surrender to you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to be everything you know I can be. Amen. Leave your eyes closed for a moment. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you are gloriously saved. You're gloriously saved. You don't have to do another thing. He is pleased. Heaven is partying. You have a whole new life. Your past is covered under the blood of Jesus, never to be brought to your memory again. I mean, never to be brought to your account again. You might be able to remember it, but you have to see it through the lens of Jesus. That's who you were. That is not who you are. You don't have to do another thing. One of the things I do here, though, is I allow a moment after this. Last week, between Thursday and Sunday, nine people responded to this. This morning, we've already had several people respond to this. But I give an opportunity, if you prayed that prayer, to just simply make it tangible with every head bowed and eye closed except for me, I'm, I am looking around. I just want to give you an opportunity to lift your hand when I count to three and say, I prayed that prayer. Just lift, you don't even have to say it. Just lift your hand. We'll make eye contact. I'll know what that means. And you can put it right back down. I just want to celebrate with you. So if you prayed that with me this morning, don't hesitate. Raise that hand when I get to three. One, two, three. Who prayed that prayer with me this morning? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Who else? Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, ma'am. Over here to my right. Thank you. Anyone else? Just want to hang on for a second. Nope. Saw four of you. I want to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Praise God. Just leave your eyes closed for one second. Church family, here's a brave one. You know Jesus. You're on your way to heaven. You know you need to repent. There's some stuff or there's a thing. You're stuck in the confession, your sin confession, sin confession, sin confession cycle. Or maybe you've just been hardening your heart and God's put his finger on it today and said No. This needs to go. I'm not curious. I'm not motivated by wanting to know all the details. But I want to challenge you, church. If God's speaking to your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to settle that right here and now and find freedom. I don't want you to walk out of that door with a harder heart and more guilt and more shame in your life. I want you to be free from that. So I'm going to pray at just a general prayer of deliverance. But if you want me to 
uh, just kind of, I'm not including you by name, but if you just want to make a symbol to the Lord that, God, I hear you, and I'm laying it down today. When I count to three, I want you to slip up your hand, and you can put it back down. I'm not going to call you by name, but if you know there's some things that need to be repented from today, and you're hearing God's voice, one, two, three. I want you to lift your hand up. Awesome. Goodness. Lots of hands. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. God sees that. You can put your hands down. And I don't want to make this, I don't want to make this an easy out today. Based on what I'm seeing, that means there's probably 90% of us that feel like there's nothing to lay down to Jesus today, and that grieves my spirit. My eyes are closed. I don't care if you raise your hand or not. It's not for me. But man, that is telling to me as a pastor, and I don't want to drill too deep here. Father, you see our hearts as we truly are. And I, on behalf of this congregation, ask you to forgive us for pride. I'm embarrassed before you. I want you to lead this church to be who we want to be. But we must have a zero tolerance policy for sin. Help me to lead us in such a way that your spirit can convict us so that we can confess and be purified and whole. Lord, I pray for those brave enough today to identify themselves as saying you've put your finger on their heart. And if you know you need to repent, you don't need me to pray for you. You take that to Jesus for yourself. Forgiveness is here for you. Grace is here for you. Mercy is here for you. A release of love and righteousness and purity is here for you. He's ready to take away the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the anxiety that you have and wash you white as snow. Just release that to him today. Take him up on the exchange. The worst thing is when you have something good to offer and people don't want it. Oh, Father, deal with us about impurity. God, forgive us. Forgive me. We want to be who you want us to be. Father, I will camp in this spot with you as long as it takes until you let us know you need to lead us on from this. But I understand if there's pride in our hearts and we think that we are somehow impervious to having things in our life that need to be laid down, there is a veil of deception over us that must be dealt with for us to be who you want us to be. And I thank you that you've revealed that to us and I commit to your leadership and how we tunnel through this. But Father, I also thank you that the dam has broken today and that there is restored relationship all across this room in the lives of people who have just received that word and become soft and pliable to you. I pray that there will be joy unspeakable in their lives and their homes today. In your mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.